You're listening to Talking Smart. The official podcast of the International Association of Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation Workers. This is Paul Pimentel, and I am joined today by my co-hosts, Michael Blaine and Ben Nagy. As we have done for the past year, we are recording remotely due to the pandemic. Welcome to the 11th episode of Talking Smart. Each month, we bring you news, guests, and discussions of interest to smart members and working families across the United States and Canada. It's March 2021, a little more than a year after COVID-19 was declared a global pandemic and the U.S. and Canada began to shut down large swaths of our economies, public venues, and education systems. Now, with three vaccines being distributed in North America and around the globe, attention is increasingly turning toward how we can safely reopen schools, offices, and public spaces across the country. With airborne transmission of the coronavirus in enclosed spaces a major cause of spread, and with new variants emerging, indoor air quality is a top concern. Today, our featured guest is Dave Burnett, the administrator at the National Energy Management Institute Committee, or NEMIC. Brother Burnett works with a team of professionals developing workforce training and personnel certifications for smart members and employers in the sheet metal construction industry. Currently, in response to the coronavirus pandemic, the NEMIC team is working with subject matter experts, researchers, and policymakers to develop protocols and procedures for ventilation verification and repairs of HVAC systems to ensure people may safely re-enter classrooms and buildings across the United States and Canada. That HVAC system is really the respiratory system or the lungs of the building. And if those lungs aren't functioning as they were designed or not functioning at all, that's a problem. You know, whether you're a human being or whether you're a building, you've got a problem. In addition to discussing NEMIC and indoor air quality, we spoke with Dave about how he got into the industry, his experience in the Marine Corps, and what lessons he brought from his military service to his career in the sheet metal industry. I learned self-confidence coming from the Marine Corps, but I learned about unionism from those union meetings as a young apprentice. It's really what molded me to keep going and, and do what I do. In addition, listen for the open mic segment with General President Joseph Sellers at the end of this episode. He responds to a question from a smart member about why it seems so hard to take care of the men and women who have served in our militaries. Our Smart Heroes program, along with Helmets to Hard Hats in Canada and the United States, has helped thousands of men and women of our armed services transition from service to civilian life. Dave, thanks for being on the show today. We really appreciate it. Now, you have an interesting backstory coming from Local 12 in Pittsburgh. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. Well, first, I want to to thank you, Paul and uh, Mike and Ben, for inviting me into this. And I do think it's important, right? So uh, where we are with with COVID, the pandemic, and what's going on. But um, yeah, I'll give you a little bit of a background. Uh, So I I did a four-year apprenticeship program uh, in Pittsburgh. I uh, graduated out of that, and, and a lot of my uh, work was kind of 
throughout the spectrum of sheet metal, I worked uh, shop field uh, and spent a lot of time in the planning departments. Uh, so, you know, through that period, I, I also stayed involved uh, as a volunteer uh, with the local union uh, as an apprentice, but also as a young journey person. And, and through that, I got to know people and, and understand the organization a little bit better. And ultimately, I was encouraged to apply for a, a position with the local union uh, leadership as a, as a street organizer, a staff organizer, I guess. Uh, so we ran the youth youth program, uh, did some covert and overt organizing, salting, if you know what that is, and uh, prevailing wage enforcement, stuff like that. So um, you know, after a few years of that, I went up and became a uh, union representative, went through an election, lost the election, but ultimately came back, won an election, and worked as a rep for uh, collective bargaining agreements for our members in manufacturing and building trades. So those two sectors are pretty uh, different, but I enjoyed working both. Then ultimately was elected to business manager, financial secretary, treasurer. Uh, so in that position, I was a leadership for the union reps and the organizers, uh, as well as heading up negotiations on the contracts, uh, union operations, investments, uh, and and all the funds, training in the healthcare funds. So, yeah, that's kind of my background that brought me along and up into uh, NEMIC, NEMI. So Dave, indoor air quality is a hot topic right now across North America as we try to get out of the pandemic. Can you... Tell us a little bit about what SMART has been doing to raise awareness around this issue. Sure. I mean, just to start off with, I would say the SMART leadership has really been at the forefront of indoor air quality for years, long before the pandemic. So to go back to that, uh, the predecessor of SMART was the Sheet Metal Workers International. And that labor management team uh, between the Sheet Metal Workers and, and the contractors, which is SMACNA, they created a fund that, that became the NEMIC Fund, uh, which is the National Energy Management Institute uh, Committee. So the purpose of that fund is really to identify uh, trends in the industry, uh, new technology, and it really drilled in and focused on energy conservation, indoor air quality, energy efficiency, and energy management. And, and they looked at a whole lifespan of the building, right? They looked at from the fabrication to the installation, to the testing of the systems, the inspection, the maintenance service. So anything that dealt with the, the HVAC system, as well as the building envelope or the architectural, the waterproofing of that building. Just about every piece of a building, when you start dissecting it, it has female workers pulled into that uh, for training and personnel certifications. So currently what the smart leadership is doing is they're speaking with President Biden's COVID response team, um, also with members of, of Congress and, and dealing with nationwide organizations such as, you know, the American Federation of Teachers or the National Education Association. Their interest is in their workers and the students that their members help educate. So really what we're doing is making sure all those entities understand the importance to assess a building's uh, mechanical system uh, prior to any occupancy or re-entry and really make sure that those systems are focused on mitigating the spread of COVID and keeping the occupants of the building safe. Dave, let me ask you this. Can, can you tell us how has that been received by those different groups, the Biden administration, the teachers unions, and, and members of Congress when you've had those discussions? Is there anything you can tell us about that? 
Yeah, so I think anytime that, you know, you come into problem solve, right, and you're giving your perspective, I think there's usually a relationship building piece to this where they have to come together as a team, right? You have to trust each other in what you're saying. So I can imagine if if somebody's listening to me talk, they're going to think, well, he's positioning his answers and his responses to benefit his organization, right? Or himself. So everybody comes into a conversation with a piece of ownership. So I think a big part of dealing with these entities and organizations is, first of all, building relationships. And I think that's what's happening. They're realizing the value that the sheet metal workers bring, the knowledge and expertise of the craftsmen and women, the contractors. And although, you know, everybody's in it to make a profit, right? There is a sincere concern for protecting the citizens of our country, of the world, of this pandemic. Uh, hi, hi, Dave. Ben Nagy here. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what NIMI is and then uh, what it does for uh, the listeners of this podcast? A lot of confusion comes when people hear NIMI and then they hear NEMIC and they go, well, what's the difference, right? So NIMI is a corporation. So the name is really NEMIC. NIMI Inc. is shortened for NIMI, National Energy Management Institute. So it works through a grant. It's funded through a grant from NEMIC, the funding organization. But NEMI has a little more latitude, right? It works with training supervisors, but it also reaches a little bit further. And, and what we do, uh, we found that implementing our certifications is getting to that end user, right? And authorities that have jurisdiction. So I'm talking about say, code officials or fire marshals or architects and engineers. So we also train them, right? We provide training to firefighters, building owners, school board members, architects, engineers, design professionals. And those courses are really designed not to teach them how to do our trade, but it's to teach them to identify what a certified individual what they should expect from them. So when somebody comes in to work on their system, whether it's to assess and adjust their HVAC system or to inspect their fire life safety systems, they need to know what that individual should know. So if I come in with my credentials and say, hey, I'm going to do this inspection or, or adjust your system, you should know as a building owner what is right and what is wrong and that this individual has a level of competency and proficiency uh, to perform that work. So it's really teaching the public and really marketing our certifications directly to that end user or the authority having jurisdiction. So with that being said, the NEMIC arm really still does the research and the investigation of what new technology is developing, but they also develop the certifications to certify technicians and contractors and supervisors. Under NEMIC umbrella, we have a group of subject matter experts that we're always pulling from the actual industry. So we have contractors that are performing this work, engineers that are involved in it, technicians supervisors that are actually in the field working in this industry that we pull them in and we have them help build our certifications and that's how we do it you're listening to talking smart mobilize organize unionize do you have story ideas or have a question for the general president or union leadership Call us toll-free at 844-984-0947 with your questions or ideas. Once again, 844-984-0947. So Dave, we touched on reopening schools a little earlier. 
And that's certainly a big issue right now. A lot of debate around it. It's been politicized to a certain degree. But ultimately, it's about, you know, balancing how do we safely reopen schools and offices with getting people back to work and to school. So how important is indoor air quality to all of this and especially retrofitting or upgrading air handling equipment so we can safely reopen schools and offices and help us get out of this pandemic? It's important, right? I can't even say that it's very important, but important is important, right? So the highest level you can get is where it's at. So I I look at it this way, right? When I talk to somebody that's not an engineer or heavily involved in systems and technology, and I say, look, if you look at a building and the mechanical system in there, and specifically the air system, the HVAC system, heating, ventilation, and and air conditioning, you know, look at it like uh, as if it's an individual, a human being. And you say, look, that HAC system is really the respiratory system or the lungs of the building. And if those lungs aren't functioning as they were designed or not functioning at all, that's a problem. You know, whether you're a human being or whether you're a building, you've got a problem. So, you know, the focus is how are you intaking that air into the building? How are you exhausting the air? Because think about it, you don't want to be pushing your exhaust of a building, contaminated air out in close proximity to the intake you want to have that separate. So, you know, you're looking at the intake, the exhaust, how do you condition the air? Do you cool it? Do you heat it? And how do you clean it? What's the rate of filtration and how well are you cleaning it? And then how are you distributing that air through the building, you know, through zones or in a complete uh, total building envelope? How's that functioning? So it's that all of that's critical to the building and to the building being healthy for the occupants. So if I look at it, maybe in a better, you know, more obvious example, it would be think of wherever your air is moving through that ductwork or your building, that instead of just blowing clean air, it's blowing smoke and you can see it, right? So you can see that and you can smell that smoke. You can easily identify that that smoke is an irritant to your lungs and it's a hazard to your health. So with COVID, with a virus, right, you can't see that. But when you feel that air moving, just think, hey, if you could see it, it would be pushing out through like smoke. So it's important that any protocols for building reentry include adequate standards for that HVAC system and to have regular or continuous indoor air quality monitoring. So it's not like, well, you, you set the system today and walk away from it. You have to monitor that system with the technology we have out there to make sure that air is adequate and clean. So it's important. Uh, So this idea of air quality, it also affects areas where there are a lot of people circulating through. So, uh, for instance, the nation's transportation network. What are some locations beyond just, say, a schoolhouse or a medical facility that uh, we might also be looking for improvements in indoor air quality? That's a pretty good question, right? We've been looking at this with, with, with the smart leadership. So NEMIC has been brought on to a lot of strategic planning themes with SMART. The way that we looked at this, uh, and we also feed back to our contractors, right, of what type of work they're familiar with doing. Really what we look at, let's say, with transportation stations. So you have, you know, Union Station or any bus depot, train depot, airport, anywhere where people congregate. They end up going through the detector system or whatever it is, and, and they set into a waiting area. All of that uh, is high probability or possibility, I guess, of contamination or, or transfer of contamination between the individuals 
And, you know, that's all affected by airflow when it comes to HVAC or mechanical systems. So even think about if you're in the subway, the metro in Washington, D.C., right? If you're standing on that platform and that rail cart comes rolling through there, you feel that wind coming through there. That's a little bit hard to control, but I'm sure that being a sheet metal worker, I'd put up some perforated plate. So to slow or baffle that airflow, so I'm not getting some type of touch contamination or, or air contamination of that air moving across that platform. But it's on all those settings, right? You go into uh, airplanes, for instance, they've got a pretty good HVAC system that cycles that air out on a pretty steady basis, continuous basis of change out of air. The same needs to be paid attention to on passenger buses. The same standard needs to apply to rail cars. You have people in close proximity to each other. You have doors opening, closing, airflow moving, and you can try to contain that with, I would guess, right? I'm not an engineer, but I would guess, look, uh, a lot of uh, baffles for directing airflow, better filtration, more filtration through certain areas. There's a lot of talk around this and I believe smart uh, leadership has also been talking to some of the carriers Uh, in their engineering departments about how do we approach this and and make it as safe as possible. So Dave, with increased awareness of the importance of indoor air quality during the pandemic, do you think that there's new and growing opportunities for our members to get additional work just because so much is being said and written and discussed about the importance of indoor air quality? And and really, that's probably going to have a lasting effect once we're really out of the pandemic, right, for additional work? Right. I think we're already at the top of that, right? And I look at it because at the beginning of this, sheet metal workers were considered essential workers, and and they are, right? When it comes to, again, the, the respiratory system of a building, the HVAC mechanical system of a building, that's important. You're in a, a classification as an essential worker if you are skilled and certified in, in doing this type of work. So that's the contractor's our members. So I I think you can extend this, you know, just kind of pushing out what's an opportunity like this look like, what would it develop? And this didn't come out of us sitting here talking today. Uh, This is through a lot of discussion on these strategic teams that we're doing and the contractors that we work with as subject matter experts. And one of the things that came up was, hey, uh, you know, should we be looking at uh, some type of health report card for a building, much like you may see inspections done on, on elevators or sprinkler systems in buildings or fire extinguishers, you see the, the little inspection badge. Maybe we should have a report card for the building that says, hey, this building has undergone uh, a ventilation assessment uh, check and, and filtration. And so you're looking at a, a, that report card to be visible and to have that inspection done like, I don't know, whatever that is, six months every year, whatever. But that, that report should be either uh, recognized in the lobby of the building or available online so people could be looking at it. And it provides, I think, that opportunity for our members, our contractors to engage to make sure that that standard's met. And again, that becomes that opportunity for increased visibility to be performing this work. And quite honestly, uh, just performing that inspection is going to identify deficiencies, which then open up work opportunities to correct those deficiencies or retrofit or improve the energy efficiency of a building. 
Uh, so I think it definitely does open up opportunities in our industry uh, as well. I, yeah, I shouldn't leave out the TD, right? I mean, it's also that should be available for rail cars or bus. I mean, you should be able to know the transportation you're taking or the facility you're walking into has some standard that has been met that you know has been done by qualified people in it and it's functioning properly. Yeah, great. Sounds like a, a lot of additional hours. Right. When it's time to put down your tools, take off your hard hat, and tear into some gas station delicacies, join Smart Local 110 Sheet Metal Workers on The Break Time Breakdown, where we'll cover everything from what it's like to work during a pandemic to why we should all be like ducks. Head over to www.smart110.org or search for us wherever you get your podcasts. We started a thing. You should check it out. So Dave, what kind of new tools and technologies are you seeing members in our signatory employers uh, employ to meet the challenges that are being posed by COVID? Yeah, so what I see since COVID has come about is about maybe not so much new technology as it would be technology that's out there that's currently utilized more. So for example, like we're doing this broadcast and we're remote, right? If it would have been two or three years earlier, it would probably be a different topic, but we would be probably in the same room throwing crap at each other. But, you know, the way it is now, we're hundreds of miles apart, if not a thousand or so miles apart, we're, we're doing Zoom or we do a GoToMeeting or a Skype. Uh, so that's, I think, used a lot more between our, our members, uh, the union leadership, the clients, the end users. But there's also technology like mechanical systems where we're talking more about putting in CO2 sensors that gauge the amount of carbon dioxide that's in a room uh, and how that, if the room is saturated with carbon dioxide, just from people being in the room, how that really changes cognitive skills of the people in that room. So if you would level out the carbon dioxide levels, uh, you have better productivity out of the people that are in that room or they're not so lethargic. Uh, they're more engaged. And, and that's been around a while. It's just now people are really starting to look at what's going on in my environment. So another piece would be ultraviolet lighting. They use it to kill the virus and, and hospitals have been using that for years on their filter racks and upstream and downstream of, of, of their equipment. And now everybody's looking at, hey, I need UV lighting. And you have a lot of companies out there now selling something that has a sticker on it that says that it's got UV lighting in it. You have bipolar ionization. That's been around. So there's a lot of stuff out there that is now being promoted more and more. Even video cameras. You look at video cameras like the scope cameras, right? There are contractors that use those scope cameras to look inside of areas you can't get or even to take pictures. So let's say you do a, a duct inspection or a duct cleaning or a fire damper inspection or installation, they will take pictures of that for their records. So when they turn that report in to the fire department, they show that this fire damper was damaged or was replaced. Here's the picture of the damage. Here's the picture of the replacement. And here was the date of the inspection. And that's all part of that documentation. You see that type of technology that really doesn't sound new, but we're starting to engage more with it, as well as PPE, right? When I came up through, somebody told me to put on a dust mask and goggles to run a uh, hammer drill through something. The goggles sweated up. The mask was a pain. I threw the goggles off, threw the mask off, and you just did the work. And now, today, you wouldn't think of that. 
man, you better have that mask on. You better have a double mask. You better have goggles that cut the glare, that don't fog up. And, and so that's a form of technology, right? You have better PPE equipment. I just think we're focusing better on how to use current technology better and better. So you've also done a lot of, especially when it comes to fire life safety, we've noticed there's been a lot of it seems to have been originally concentrated in places like Pittsburgh, where I believe the fire life safety ordinance got passed a long time ago. How has that grown in the last couple of years? The best success that we're having with this is really the engagement we have with the employers and seeing that this as a a steady stream of revenue for them uh, because fire damper fire damper installation has been going on for a long time. You know, I've I've put it in, and that was before we ever got into inspecting and testing. And where we've gone with Nemic is we really started to pursue the inspecting and testing. So you can get on a cycle where hey. In hospitals, they're inspected every six years. In other buildings, uh, they're inspected every three or four years. And you have smoke control systems that have to be inspected every year. So there's a cycle of inspections that have to take place. And you have to have trained and certified individuals that are ANSI accredited, which basically is saying your certification has taken a third-party entity such as the American National Standards Institute, and they've, they're verifying that your certification is valid and you keep the rigidity in that certification. So in other words, we're not just handing out certifications saying, oh, here, you're a union member, you get to be certified. Look, you have to pass that test and you have to be knowledgeable of those systems and you own it. So if you go out there and do not perform to our standard, we will take your certification away from you and you will not be available or you know, allowed to do that work as a certified technician or a contractor, if, if that's the case. Really, the expansion with this is I think the contractors have become more engaged with us as subject matter experts. They see it as a revenue driver, and it's also a stepping stone. It uh, fits in very nicely to anybody that gets involved in air balancing. It's really part in, and parcel of, of that type of work. But it's also for a general sheet metal worker. It doesn't have to be a, a certified air balancer uh, just to do this work. And some of the other pieces is uh, we've been uh, in some of these locations, uh, cities, in some cases statewide, where the local union and the contractors have come together and really have promoted legislation that requires anybody doing these inspections has to be certified and ANSI accredited to perform the work. And it's really helped us build relationships with firefighters and fire marshals that recognize our certifications. And again, we help train them as to what our role is in working with them. So in the past, you served in the U.S. Marine Corps. And as you know, our organization, we've got the Smart Heroes program. We bring in a lot of military members who have been transitioning to civilian life and providing them with the opportunity to be in the trades and to build a career within the trade, within the metal industry. For you in particular, how do you think serving in the Marine Corps and what you learned there translated into becoming a union sheet metal worker? So as I went into the Marine Corps, right, I struggled through grade school, high school. Look, I was a C student, man, that's what I was. And I went to uh, Votech school, like a vocational technical school in my 10th, 11th and 12th grade, right? So you go a half day to high school and then you go a half day to this tech school. And I, I signed up for mechanical drafting. So I took drafting courses and 
in my senior year of high school, you know, I, there were employers that would come to the tech school and they would look for entry level employees. So uh, I got hired. So I actually went to tech school, like I think two days a week, and then I'd go to the employer three days a week, but it was a surveying company. So we did surveying of property lands and a lot of the work was for mining companies. So we were usually out there in the mines surveying, you got a surveyor with me and I was the dumb guy holding the stick, right? So they'd survey the property and then we come back and do the overlay maps. So I learned to do overlays and topographical maps working with that. So long story, short like I got laid off in like October November right after I graduated high school and look I was a family of six kids and my dad was a steel worker and there was no way I could go to college have him pay for that because look I didn't know that you could apply for scholarships or grants or whatever not that I qualify but you know so there's no way I'm gonna ask my dad to pay for that and then probably flunk out, right? And then get my ass kicked by my dad. So I, I just couldn't do that. So I, I thought, you know what? I can't sit here. I got to go do something. And my dad, his brothers, my uncles, all of them served in the military, right? Through Second World War, Korean War, Vietnam. And so I went and signed up for the Marine Corps and I took what was a aviation option. And I went into the aviation side of the Marine Corps. Uh, which if you talk to any Marines, they'd say you were swinging with the wing, growing your hair and smoking dope. It was the soft side of the Marine Corps, right? You weren't a grunt. You weren't a force recon. You weren't a combat Marine. You were basically on an airfield working with jets. But that's what I did. And to top it off, you know, I ended up being based in Hawaii for three years and we deployed to the Philippines. So it was sunshine the whole time. But one thing that they taught me is about discipline and it was about confidence, right? And the reason I went back to talk about high school is I played sports, right? I played football, I wrestled, uh, even when I was in the Marine Corps, I boxed. In every one of those areas, whether it was wrestling, football, or boxing, I got my ass kicked every time. If you want to talk about a mediocre athlete, I wish I could have been mediocre. Like I got my ass kicked all the time, but for whatever reason, I kept going back onto the wrestling mat. I kept going back onto the field. I kept going back into the boxing ring. Apparently there was something wrong with me. I guess what I learned coming out of the Marine Corps was, look, it helped me gain a lot of confidence. It made me realize that, look, if that guy over there could do this, so could I. Like there is nothing that that person has that I don't have. If they can make it through, I can make it through. And so that carried me probably through every step of my life. Even when I got into the sheet metal workers, I went to union meetings as an apprentice and I looked up where the business reps were giving their reports. I thought, man, these guys, they all dressed in suits. And I thought, man, these guys are the smartest people I've ever, I was really amazed. I thought these guys must all be like attorneys and, and they know this contract inside and out. Then I realized these were sheet metal workers, the same as me. If they could do this, I could do this. And, and really it was, hey, you know, read the contract, understand the contract. And then we would debate that at union meetings. We had what you called the back wall guys. And the back wall guys, I mean, there were sometimes it was a little bit of agitation, but they were really dissecting that contract, how it applied on their job site that day, and they brought it to the floor. And if they had a problem with a union official or any piece of our organization, they didn't shrink. I mean, they got up and voiced themselves. And then I really started to get into this. I thought, man, this could work. I mean, this actually works. I learned self-confidence coming from the Marine Corps, but I learned about unionism from those union meetings as a young apprentice. It's really what molded me to keep going and, and do what I do.
So you talk about getting knocked down, coming back up, and you got a hell of a story there. And just to translate over to on a less serious side, I guess you could say, is you're a Steelers fan. And especially the last decade or so, you probably um, have been knocked down a little bit more than normal, right? Being a Steelers fan, um, kind of like Mike and Ben. Mike's from Seattle, so Mike, you know, he's got his one Super Bowl. And I, I believe Mike, Seahawks were in, in two Super Bowls, right? Marshawn Lynch, first down at the one-yard line, and you pass it. I, You know, we'll never yeah. live that down. Yeah, no, you probably will never live that down, especially with me around. And um, and then Ben's from Cleveland, and God bless him. You know, we don't want to go there. So you being a Steelers fan, and of course, you know, there's America's team, which are the New England Patriots. Uh, both teams are sitting up on top of the heat right now with six Super Bowls each. Who do you think is going to get the next one? Yeah, well, I, you know it's not going to be the Patriots, right? They gave up Gronkowski and they gave up Brady. I think we can dismiss them right off the bat. But, uh, yeah, I wish I could say Pittsburgh. But, uh, you know, you got Marquise Bouncy that now has stepped aside. So I, I think the Steelers, I've, I've really got to say, are going to go into a, a rebuild phase. And I'd like to really take the shots that you're making and respond in a humorous way, but I just can't. I can't do it. I mean, I think Tampa Bay, uh, you can't count them out, but I'd like to see Aaron Rodgers go back to the traditional Green Bay uh, Packers. And I think they might have a good chance. I would like to see Aaron Rodgers leave and go to New England, but I don't know if that's going to happen, but I would love to see something like that. But um, I could dream, of course, right? One other thing, though, that's very interesting about the Steelers and that a lot of people listening might not know is recently, a couple of weeks ago, Alan Fanica got elected to the, uh, to the Football Hall of Fame. And one thing about Alan Fanica's background, his father is a retired member of sheet metal workers out of Louisiana, currently local 214, I believe. So there's a little sheet metal connection there with the Pittsburgh Steelers and with the Football Hall of Fame. So yeah. you got to commend the Steelers for that. And so in that vein, I'll, I'll say that we built some new stadiums in Pittsburgh in the past couple decades now. But, you know, the Rooney family that is the major uh, owner of the Steelers, and it wasn't just for their stadium. I mean, they are very strong union advocates. I mean, they are, and they're real tight with the building trades. I mean, they are a strong union family. Even years ago when there were strike action with the NFL, they respected their players and didn't bait them across the line. And, you know, they're a good family. Pittsburgh family. You got to give that to them for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Dave, I want to thank you for being on this podcast today. We took a lot of your time. I think this was one of the more informative podcasts we've had. There was a heck of a lot of great material there, a lot of great information for people, especially a lot of members out there and people outside of the, of the union who may not understand indoor air quality and what we're doing, but being able to have you on this podcast today to kind of illuminate for everybody just how we're right now on the cutting edge of indoor air quality, which is a very big deal when it comes to getting people to return to work, return to school across North America, the United States and Canada. We really appreciate you taking your time to sit down with us and talk about this. Yeah, it's an honor to be in this position and, and to have walked the path I've walked with the International and my local union. And, and I appreciate all of our members out there. Uh, she Metal TD, the same. Uh, I've worked on committees with all types from manufacturing to building trades, the TD side and uh, everywhere. It's been quality, quality people. And I appreciate that, man. And I appreciate kind of the back and forth that we have at times too, right? Of opinions, alpha dogs at times, everybody's nothing dog at some point so I, I do and I appreciate what you guys are doing for us too thank you thank you Dave thank you for your service and uh, you know what I, I hope the Browns are merciful to the Steelers next year
There you go. <laughs> every right. time, every right. time Dave, Dave talks, you learn something from Dave. Yeah, absolutely. I've come to learn that. It's a really impressive group he's got out there at NIMI. They do a phenomenal job. So thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Absolutely, guys. All right, guys. See you. Thank, thank you. Thank you, everybody. Smart Transportation Division has launched a safety condition report on the TD website for all members to report potentially dangerous conditions on their properties. These reports go directly to union officers who can help you to do something about it. Visit the Smart TD website and look for the flashing yellow box on the right hand side to access the confidential online form. Don't ignore safety concerns, use the report, and above all, stay safe out there. This next segment is the open mic segment where we have a question and answer session with General President Joseph Sellers. General President Sellers, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Paul, Mike, and Ben. I, I appreciate the opportunity. I, I also appreciate the members uh, continuing to send in questions and uh, you know bring this segment of the open mic into our podcast. Thank you. As you know and are aware, we have a lot of members who are veterans uh, who have served in both nations, in the United States and in Canada. Warren Hartman, a member of Smart Sheet Metal Workers Local 218 in Illinois, posed this question online through our Facebook page. Why is it so hard to take care of the proud people who served in our military first? Is that really too much to ask for? Rant over, Biden's still my president because I am above all else, an American, and I'm a proud union member. Thank you, Warren, for that question. But first and foremost, I wanna thank our active military women and men. So many of our National Guard has been deployed due to domestic terrorism over the last several months. I'd like to thank our veterans. I thank you for your service. And we greatly appreciate the sacrifices that you and your family have bestowed upon us as both countries. We at SMART take great pride in supporting our women and men in service. Our veterans, both in the United States and Canada, SMART is proud to have a member who serves as the longest serving member of the Department of Labor's Veterans Advisory Committee, responsible for service members transitioning from military to a career. We also have a member on the Veterans Affairs Education Committee, which guides policy assisting veterans. We at SMART have many veterans including our Transportation Division President, Jeremy Ferguson, who is implementing and collecting information about veteran services so that we can honor and recognize our service men and women. Our Smart Heroes Program, along with Helmets to Hard Hats in Canada and the United States, has helped thousands of men and women of our armed services transition from service to civilian life. Smart's assisting them with finding good paying careers within the union industry within the union sheet metal industry. In fact, Helmets to Hard Hats, SMART has been very involved and has helped over 36,000 successful transitions into a building trade union. The sheet metal industry through every JATC, through our SMART Heroes program, are directly linked to the Helmets to Hard Hats program to identify and reach every military member who is looking to transition into the trades. Specifically, Smart Heroes helps transition soldiers while they are soldiers and helps them find opportunity for them and their families when they do become civilians. 
For example, Local 66 and SMACNA Western Washington just graduated their 20th cohort, and that is through the cooperation of Joint Base Lewis McCord. Local 9 and SMACNA of Colorado is now up and running, and they are also graduating cohorts through their program and their area. Just this past January, ITI received the program report from the Department of Army. And this is including 2020, which had COVID restrictions, but they received very high marks. One of the comments was SMART is an excellent, exceptional partner. The program should be retained. And that is from the Department of Army. Additionally, in Local 36 St. Louis, they are partnering with the Veterans Administration to provide added capacity for COVID-19 vaccination distribution. And in their union hall, is now functioning as a vaccine injection site for those veterans. SMART also quickly mobilized prior to President Biden's inauguration on January 6th to deliver goods and supplies to the National Guard members serving in defense of the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C. Locals from up and down the East Coast traveled to that staging area in Maryland to deliver goods that were directly transferred to the National Guard personnel. Thank you, Warren. Thank you for your question. Thank you for being a proud union member. This is what we do. This is how we mobilize. We thank you for your service in the United States and Canada. We thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy every day and the sacrifices that you and your family have made. Thank you again, and please stay safe. General President Sellers, um, that's something that a lot of members don't know about what you just outlined there. Uh, CUNY is doing a heck of a lot for for our military heroes in both nations. I think a lot of people need to know more about it. And I'm glad that you're, you're out here outlining this and letting people know. Yeah, and we continue to hone our abilities. You know, we want to incorporate mentoring programs so that, you know, veterans are peer-to-peer with other veterans. You know, whether they have transition problems from military life, from the Smart Heroes program, and then transitioning back to where they want to call home. Maybe that's where they came from, you know, prior to entering the service, or maybe it's a new place that they want to go and call home. And, and, and we want to make sure that we're continuing to facilitate and help them with that. But then when they get to that local level, can we uh, use a mentoring program, you know, whether it has to do with uh, a transition, uh, whether it has to do with being an apprentice, whether it has to do with something that they may have experienced in the, in the service of our countries. General President Sellers, I want to thank you for that. And I want to thank you for taking the time to be on this show and to answer the questions, the member questions that are out there. And again, for everybody, you can, you can comment and you can submit your questions through Facebook. You can submit your questions through our 1-800 number. Once again, thank you, General President Sellers, and thank you to everybody listening in, and especially everybody here who served in our armed forces in both nations. Thank you for your service.